Good morning, Chapel family. It is so good to be with you this morning. I bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. There's so many good reasons for us to give honor and praise and blessing to the Lord. I trust that as you had time this week to reflect on on blessings that you have received, that you also took lots of time to give thanks to the Lord. We are almost to the end of our study in the life of Abraham. We as a church have been, over the last 10, 11 weeks, have been going through Abraham's life in the book of Genesis. For 25 long years, Abraham and Sarah have been waiting for God to fulfill the promise uh, to give them a child, a son. I encourage you to take your Bibles and open to Genesis chapter 21. Here in this chapter, the promise comes to fruition. A child is born. And as Abraham and Sarah rejoice, we thought it would be appropriate to use this passage on this Thanksgiving week to focus our attention together on God's blessings. We're going to do things a little bit differently this morning, shake things up a little bit. Instead of one sermon, we're going to have three shorter devotionals put throughout the whole service mixed along with singing and testimonies and some special music. Let me just read these first two verses here from chapter 21. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as He had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what He had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Some of you are still recovering from the last few days. Some of you went out late on Thursday night to try to to get some of those early shopping bargains. Some of you got up early on Friday morning and went out and, and hit the stores. I know you did, many of you. Battled the crowds. You tried to emerge victorious. You were lured out as you, on Thanksgiving Day, you were going through the reams of paper that were delivered to your doorstep and going through all these ads and they promised such great bargains, didn't they? Show up at this store and get a new car for ten cents, you know, whatever. Some of you discovered that receiving those promised deals wasn't always (laughs) what it was promised and uh, it was a bit of a dream and that... When you'd go places, you got there and found out they were sold out of everything just before you arrived. The reality is, God has made a lot of promises to us. The Bible is full of them. And sometimes we wonder, can I trust God's promises? The Bible has, by many accounts, some 3,000 plus promises. Here's just a few things like this. Psalm chapter 37, verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Jesus in Matthew chapter 11 says this, Come to Me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn of Me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and and you will find rest for your souls. Paul in Romans chapter 8 says this, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good for those who love Him and are the called according to His purpose. He writes to the Philippians and says, And my God will meet all your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Four out of the thousands of promises in Scripture 
question is, how do we know that we won't be disappointed? (laughs) That God's promises won't turn out like the ones at the store. That you won't end up like the shopper that showed up at 7.05 to discover the store opened up at 6 and all the promised bargains are gone. How do we know that God will make good on His promises? In this passage we just read here in chapter 21 of Genesis, the emphasis all the way through this text is God's faithfulness. It says three times it emphasizes it. It says, as He said, He was gracious to Sarah, as He said, the Lord did for Sarah what He had promised. He bore a son at the very time God had promised. The emphasis is God had promised and God delivers on His promises. That's the point. Is God is faithful. God always does what God says He will do. Two special truths in this passage that help us to understand and to help us rest in God's faithfulness. Let me just quickly point them out. First is that God is gracious. It says the Lord was gracious to Sarah. Why is that such a wonderful thing? Because God is gracious, God is always working out for our good. That is God's grace. He's always desiring and working for our good, despite Abraham and Sarah's failures, despite their shortcomings. God kept His promises. See, God's promises, God's faithfulness is not dependent on you being perfect. It wasn't dependent on Abraham and Sarah being perfect. God's promises depend on God being faithful. And God being gracious. Second thing that I see in this passage is so important to help us find rest in God's faithfulness is the reality that God is sovereign. It says that that God did this, that Sarah became pregnant and bore a son in their old age. God waited till it was absolutely impossible from a human standpoint. A hundred year old man, a ninety year old woman. And they have a baby. Humanly impossible. But that is God's sovereign power. He can do whatever He wishes. And not only God's sovereign power, but God's sovereign timing. It says it happened at the perfect time, at the right time. At the time that God promised. See, God's timing is always perfect. Sometimes we get worried because things aren't working out like we think they ought to work out. Our timing isn't always God's timing. Matter of fact, it's usually not God's timing. But God's timing, while it's not what we might choose, while it certainly wasn't what Abraham and Sarah would choose, it's always the timing that is best. So some of us come here this morning and we're a bit like Abraham and Sarah in this passage. The blessings in our life are evident. They are part of our experience. We come this morning full of rejoicing because we've been all week thinking about just how blessed we are and how many wonderful things are going on in our life and we come with our hearts full and it's easy to praise God and and it's important to praise God because of the blessings we experience. But some of you may be here this morning, not like Abraham and Sarah here in chapter 21, but rather Abraham and Sarah back in year 23 of the promise. See, in year 25, the promise comes. But in year 23, it had been 23 long years of waiting. 
and they were still year 24. Maybe it seems to you that God has forgotten you or perhaps that God doesn't care. Part of the reason God has put this this whole account of, of Abraham and Sarah's life, it's here so you and I can understand that God is faithful, that God is gracious, that God is sovereign. It's here to give you encouragement and to give you hope that God always does what He promises because He is faithful. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Trust in Him and keep walking His path. Hope you have your Bible still open at Genesis 21. If not, it's a good time to open that back up. I'm just going to read uh, three verses here, uh, starting with verse 3 of Genesis 21. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. You know, when you read those verses, you kind of, it's easy to fly by and you think, well, there's not much contained there. But I just want to point out two, two quick ideas, two quick lessons that I hope would be an encouragement to us this morning. The first is simply that God has a plan. If you think back to Genesis 12, it's been 25 years earlier. God promised that Abraham would become a nation. Keith just talked about that a little while ago. And then it was about a year ago from this point in Genesis 21 that God gave Abraham specific instructions. He said, Abraham, you're going to have a son. And when you have this son, I want you to do two things. Uh, Genesis 17:12 tells us that you're going to circumcise your son on the eighth day. It's going to be a sign of my covenant with you. And then in verse 19 of chapter 17, God tells Abraham, you will name this son Isaac. So not only did God give Abraham a plan, he did expect Abraham to follow through with his instructions. And I think the same could be said of us. You know, I don't think that God has a specific name picked out for your child, but I do think He does have a plan for you and a plan for me. It begins with placing our faith in Christ. It begins with that initial relationship uh, with His Son, but that's only the beginning of our walk. You know, when we read the Word of God, it's as clear as the voice that spoke to Abraham. God tells us in His Word His plan for us. We read of a God who loved us, who died for us, who has adopted us into His family. And so when we see all that God has done for us, our response should be to give our lives back to Him. When God has a plan for Abraham, He responds with obedience. When God has a plan for us as Christians, we respond in obedience. Paul talks about this in Romans 12. He says, Uh, that we are present our bodies as a living sacrifice. That's our act of spiritual worship. And so the second lesson I think that we find in these few verses is that obedience is a choice. Here in Genesis 21, when Isaac, when Abraham's son finally arrives, Abraham followed through. He did just as God had instructed him. He named him Isaac. On the eighth day, he had him circumcised. Why did he do that? I think he understood. He knew this child was a blessing, was a gift from God. And so his natural response was to obey and follow through with those instructions. 
And I think as we look back, we're like, well, yeah, of course he would follow the instructions. It was God who gave him this son. Why wouldn't he listen? You know, but it wasn't always the case in Abraham's life. If you follow the series with us, you've seen times where Abraham had instructions from God and he kind of made his own way. And we think how silly that would be. How crazy would it be if Abraham decided to name his son Bob when, when God clearly told him to name your son Isaac? It would be strange for us to read that Abraham did anything different than what God had commanded him to do. But the same should be said of us. God tells us in His Word how we should live, what we should do, but how many times do we not follow through? Do we try to bend the rules or maybe ignore what His Word says? We should look at how we respond to God. We should look at the blessings, the faithfulness, everything that God has done in our lives. That's one of the great things about Thanksgiving that we just celebrated. It's a time to pause, to stop, to reflect, to think, to be thankful for everything that God has done for us. But you know, as Christians, our response shouldn't be limited to a day or a month. It should be evident in our daily lives. The way we choose to live our lives tells us a lot about our relationship with God. First John puts it pretty bluntly in chapter 2. It says this, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. The encouragement this morning is to walk in the same way Christ walked, in humility, in obedience, and in love. God has a plan. He expects us to respond with obedience. Obedience is a choice. But why wouldn't we? When we think about all God's blessings, all that He has done for us, His faithfulness, why wouldn't we trust in His plan? When we respond in a correct way, when we respond with obedience, that's when we can be assured that His love is being perfected in us. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, we thank You for Your Son. We thank You that Your Son is at work in each of our lives as we strive to follow You. I thank You that You have given us Your commands, not because you want to rule over us, but because they're for our benefit. Your commands aren't burdensome. You have given us your Son and your Spirit to help us guide us. Lord, I pray you help us walk as you have walked. Lord, be with us as we continue to worship you this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. God's blessings should move us in a way to be obedient to Him. But in order to be obedient at all, we must first accept the gift of grace, blessings, and salvation by faith. At my job at UPS uh, as a driver, they to to get messages to us, they send text messages through our board, you know, and they'll say something like, uh, I know you have 130 stops, but when you're done with those, go help Johnny with 30 more stops, and it'll be late at night, and you're supposed to respond yes, no, or request acknowledge and accept it. That's what they want you to put. Sometimes I put no, and then there's a little space where you can add. I put way. No way. I'm going to... <laughs>
But uh, outside of the church, we run into many people, whether it be friends or coworkers or just everyday people on the streets that we come across in our daily lives. And unfortunately, many or most of them haven't even acknowledged the gift that God gives us through His Son. He provided a perfect sacrifice of His sinless and without blemish Son. Much less have they not only have not acknowledged, they don't accept. They don't accept the free gift of salvation by believing and trusting in the true Lamb of God, who is Yeshua HaMashiach, that it was Jesus the Messiah to you and me. And uh, He is the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, who will return to set things straight just as He promised He would do. And I'm here to tell you biblically when He will be returning. What do you guys think about that? People who take notes, get ready to write a couple words I'm about to tell you. Um, This is according to the Scriptures, which by the way, uh, hasn't been wrong yet. And there's no reason for them to start now. So when? Quickly and soon. Right? For the angel said to those after Jesus ascended into heaven, in front of many witnesses, by the way, this same Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come again in just the same way that as you has watched him ascend into heaven. Why did he ascend, I, I sometimes think? And uh, it's also written in Acts that it says, Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. See, this world is cursed. Our bodies are cursed. We're all just under that sin curse, unfortunately. Until the Lord comes to set it straight and make our bodies in this land the way they were supposed to be made before sin even entered the world. That was over some 2,000 years ago that that all this went down, and they were promising soon then. How much more soon is now in this world that we're living in? You know, uh, we're talking about Isaac, and he had another son named Ishmael. From the maidservant and, and the tribes of Ishmael and Isaac are still fighting today. They're, one side wants the other side dead. That's pretty much sums up the whole Middle East, unfortunately. So please don't wait until it's too late to let friends and people know that we have come in contact to to acknowledge and accept the request from God for the wonderful, blessed gift of knowing that you know that you obtain salvation. Yes. Not by our own merit, so we can't boast on what we've done to deserve it, but by His good grace, which is grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. How powerful. I'll conclude with one of my favorite verses, the last verse of the Bible, uh, Revelation 22.20. He... It says, who is He? It's Jesus they're talking about. He, Jesus, which testifies and is a faithful witness to all these things, saying, as the Lord talking, Surely I come quickly, soon, some translations say. Then it ends with an Amen, yes. That means I agree, yes. That's right. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus.
Now say, come quickly and soon. Just as you have promised us that you would, and to our whole world who is in desperate need of a real king on this, on this earth. We have our Heavenly Father in, in, in glory, but, but one day He's going to come and, and set things straight and rule. See, He will be our King. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, I don't care who you are, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Yes. So it's in the mighty name of our Savior, Jesus, that I bring you these words of encouragement to uplift your joy and to assure you in your salvation. If you have acknowledged, it's one thing just to acknowledge, but you've got to accept that free gift of salvation. Thank Him and thank, thank you and thank Him for His special blessings, His safety and His insurance on our lives, our family, our friends, that only He can provide. He's a good God, right? And He's coming again soon and quickly, the Bible says. May we look forward to that and be obedient and bless Him so people can see the Lord in our daily lives and what we do and want to obtain that same joy that we have and we can share that with others. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. I invite you one more time to turn to Genesis chapter 21. Verse 6, Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? And yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Sarah's years of disappointment have been transformed into incredulous, joyful laughter. There's a big word play here in this text. We don't see it in English, but God is kind of punny. And uh, literally what it reads is, Sarah says that God has brought me Isaac. And everyone who hears about this will Isaac. See, Isaac means laughter. Originally, I think at least partly, when God a year before this had told Abraham to name this boy Isaac when he would be, when he was born, it was partly a rebuke because when God told Abraham at age 99 that he would have a son at a hundred, Abraham laughed to himself. When God told Sarah and Isaac that they would have a son, Sarah laughed. And so God said, name him Isaac. <laughs> but you see, while it was a little bit of a rebuke, it was also a blessing. Every single day for the rest of their lives, when they call to their son, Isaac! <laughs> it brings a big smile to their face. They have to laugh. Who <laughs> would believe this? A hundred year old man, a ninety year old woman, and we got us a baby. Isaac. Laughter. A couple of quick things. Aaron has talked about the response to God's blessing being obedience. There's another response to God's blessings here that 
we need to see. And it is responsive joy. First, I want us to understand it's good and it's right to enjoy God's blessings. This blessing comes with laughter and lots of joy to Abraham and Sarah. Paul wrote to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, and he said that uh, God richly provides all things for our enjoyment. A proper response to God's blessings is to enjoy them and to rejoice in them. God is, God is honored when we do that, just as Sarah does here. She gives credit to God. She says, God has given me laughter. God is honored when we gratefully receive and we gratefully enjoy what He has given to us. You know, of all the people on earth, we as God's people should be those who most enjoy whatever blessings are in our lives. I think it's John, John Piper who has often said uh, he believes in Christian hedonism. That as Christians, we should really enjoy the blessings that we have to the glory of God. That is a form of worship. And I think he's right in that. See, because not only do we have the blessings, not only have we received those, but we have a relationship with the giver of blessings. But if our response to blessings ends simply with us having, with us enjoying them, and even with us worshiping God by enjoying them, and by the way, God gets pleasure out of that just like we do as parents. Moms, dads, you understand how this is. We give our kids gifts and we love to see them enjoy them, don't we? God does that. But if our response ends there, we miss a marvelous point in this text. There's a, a little phrase here where Sarah says, God has brought me laughter, and then she adds to it. And everyone who hears of this will laugh with me. And so it has been ever since then. People have laughed. When we read this story of Abraham and Sarah, we laugh with her. How incredible. How bizarre. How funny. Their story has not just caused people to laugh, but it has touched and ministered to thousands, I think, beginning with their family. As they constantly would retell in their family, can you believe what God did? What a wonderful thing, how God gave us our son. The story is retold and rehearsed in their family. Rehearsed not only with them, but with the neighbors, constantly telling the neighbors, can you believe what God did? And with every traveling caravan that passes by, Many of them who had laughed at Abraham for being called exalted father was Abram. And then God changed his name to Abraham, father of a multitude. And he had no kids. And now they don't laugh at him. They have to laugh with him. (laughs) God knew what he was doing, didn't he? Ministered to them and now to millions since over the millennia since this occurred. People have found joy and encouragement and strength in the faithfulness of God as they look at this story. Let me suggest two ways that God can use our blessings and our joy to bless others. I think that's the second point. First, we're to enjoy God's blessings. Secondly, we're supposed to share our joy. A couple of things. One is we can share about our blessings. Even as Sarah will be sharing with so many others about what God has done, we brag on God. We tell other people what God has done, whether it's 
how God has sustained us through a lot of physical suffering as our brother Mark has had over the last year or so, or whether it's how God got us through a period of loneliness and difficulty as our husband is deployed, or whatever your story is, as you share it with others, you have opportunity to brag on God. Tell what a good and gracious and faithful God we have, and you have opportunity to point people to Jesus. But not only can we share about our blessings, we can also share from our blessings. I love that you as a people are such a giving people. You're always eager to share, whether we're talking about trying to get some things together to send to our missionaries or whether we're trying to talk about working with Operation Christmas Child and sending uh, gifts all the way around the world to children you know, and to meet needs or whether we're talking about our food pantry, our benevolence ministries. Any and every opportunity we put before you, you as a congregation respond generously and graciously and eagerly. I love that. It is what the Scripture calls us to do. The Apostle Paul in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6 wrote to Timothy and he said, Command those who are rich in this world, and that's all of us, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. I pray that God will continue to open up new doors for us individually and as a church for us to reach out and to bless others. And God called Abraham the land he was going to show him, God promised that he would bless him. And then if you recall, God also said, I will, you are to be a blessing. I will make you a blessing. But it literally was a command. May I say that that is as well what God has done for us. He's called us to Him and He has blessed us, but He's blessed us to be a blessing. And I thought, what a great thing for us to pray for. That God would show to us people to whom we can be a blessing so that we can point them to Jesus. For ultimately, that is the greatest blessing that we can be. To point people to the one name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus Christ.